0: The following is a message by Dr. David Van Drunen from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We're continuing the faculty series on Deuteronomy. I'll be reading this morning Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 8. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules That I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. For you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of, of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? This ends our reading of God's word. For our devotions this morning, we're just going to be focusing on verses six through eight. These are verses that uh, had some special interest for me a couple of years ago, in light of some uh, the writing projects I was working on. And this this is really I I, I hope you understand I'm not uh, I'm not modeling for you this morning how exactly I would preach a sermon on this text. I want to reflect with you in the spirit of these devotions on some of the interesting theological, moral, ethical issues that are before us here in Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 8. Now, in verse 6, Moses says something on behalf of God that is really quite interesting to think about. He says, talking about these laws, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now notice here that it's not uh, he's talking about Israel in some kind of relationship with the other peoples around them. And these other peoples are going to have some sort of response in the light of Israel and its law. One thing to note here, just right away, is that these other nations are not simply reading God's law in the abstract and making some judgments about it. Verse 6 says that it is in Israel's keeping and doing of the law that will be their wisdom before the nations. So again, the peoples are not just reading the law in the abstract. They are actually here supposed to be seeing Israel doing the law, keeping the statutes, and making some judgments based upon what they see. But very interesting, isn't it, what they are to say, what they will say as Israel keeps and does its law. They'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And doesn't a question come to our mind at this point? How are these foreign peoples competent to be making a judgment about wisdom and understanding? How are they qualified to be making that kind of statement? Um, After all, these foreign peoples are, I mean, they're wicked pagans, aren't they? And yet, somehow they're to be making this discerning judgment that... Israel has a wise. Uh, Israel is wise and understanding. Israel has a wise and understanding law. Well, that seems a little strange to us, doesn't it? Well, before we start looking at some of these these verses in more detail, it might be helpful to take a step back for a moment to get a little broader perspective. It is true, as a general matter, that these foreign nations, these pagan peoples surrounding Israel, uh, were wicked. They were idolaters. They were rebels against the one true and living God. And we can read some texts in the Mosaic Law that just highlight that so clearly. You might think of Leviticus 18, for example. Leviticus 18, God warns Israel not to act like the Egyptians in that land from which they came. And don't act like the Canaanites in that land where you're going. For these people were wicked... And in fact, talking about the Canaanites, God drove those Canaanites out of the land for doing the very things that God now tells Israel, you shouldn't do them, or else I'm going to kick you out of the land too. And so one of the things the Mosaic Law does is reminds Israel, don't act like these pagan nations. Don't be like them in all sorts of ways. But there are other things that complicate things a little bit, that make things a little bit more nuanced. We might think, for example, of a fact that you can't see it just by reading Exodus 21 through 23, Uh, but if you would read a section like that and compare it to some of the other ancient Near Eastern legal codes, you would find all sorts of similarities. If you compared the way the Mosaic law handles, say, personal injury matters, or handles property disputes. It's actually very similar in a lot of ways to the way the laws of the Hittites or the Babylonians handled these matters. And when you think about that, you have to draw the conclusion that these other peoples were not entirely bereft of any kind of sense of justice or sense of equity. These people knew something about how to form a legal system to settle some basic disputes about basic human matters. And so in some ways we have to stop uh, to step back and to recognize that God's common grace is at work in the world, that God preserves his law in nature, God preserves the testimony of conscience in the human heart. unbelievers, even pagans, are able to make some correct moral judgments, some correct judgments about justice and equity. And when we keep that in mind, maybe it's not quite so surprising to see what we see here in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 4. In some ways, this is applicable to things we find in the New Testament too, isn't it? You ever thought about 1 Timothy 3 verse 7, which in the midst of Paul's criteria for those holding church office, he says that, uh, they should have a good reputation with outsiders. That's kind of remarkable to think about. That in a moment, I mean, Paul's saying that if you want to serve as an office bearer in Christ's church, you need to have a good reputation among pagans. Now, I want to give some proper qualification and nuance to that, uh, but that presupposes that unbelievers can make certain right judgments about things, and so. Uh, we need to keep uh, a proper perspective as we read what we find here in Deuteronomy 4 and other texts like it in Scripture. So, the peoples are to look at Israel as they keep and obey the statutes that the Lord gives them here in Deuteronomy. And they are to say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Well, how exactly were they going to make this judgment? Uh, How was it going to come about that they were going to make this observation and come to this conclusion? Well, if we look further at verse 7, it may shed some light upon us. Let me read verse 7 again. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Now, there seems to be some explanation given here. The nations are going to say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near as the Lord whenever we call upon him? So here's what seems to be going on here. Remember, in verse 6, the nations were not simply making an abstract judgment about the law. They were to see the law being performed by Israel. Here in verse 7. They are to see Israel when they call upon God. In other words, when they're being faithful. When they're doing what they ought to do. And they're going to see that they have a God so near. They're to see Israel obeying. And they're somehow to recognize that they have a God so near. And that is to drive their conclusion that this is a wise and understanding people. Well, that raises a further question, doesn't it? How are these nations supposed to know that God was so near? Now, when we, if we were just to think about this, maybe not in the context of this passage, but what, what does it mean for God to be near you? Well, we would maybe we would think about this in a very spiritualized way. The Lord is near me in the sense that The Spirit dwells in my heart and that the comfort of Christ uh, is is with me in the midst of trials and temptations. And certainly that is not an incorrect way to think. But is that exactly what verse 7 is talking about? Is it talking about simply a kind of a spiritual nearness, a sense of God's closeness to Israel in their obedience? Well, probably not. I mean, for one thing, the nations couldn't really have seen that, could they? I mean, they couldn't really have observed, certainly not from a distance, that somehow Israel had a, had a close spiritual relationship with their God. What would it mean in Deuteronomy for God to be near to them? Well, in Deuteronomy, certainly there's a lot of emphasis upon God being near to his people to bless them, And to bless them not in ethereal ways, but to bless them in very concrete, material ways. God promises throughout Deuteronomy, if they obey him, that he will make their crops to grow. He's going to send rain and their crops are going to abound. That their wives are going to bear many children. That they will have victories over their enemies uh, on the battlefield. When verse 7 says that Israel in their obedience has a God so near to them surely this is something that involves tremendous outward blessings that Israel is going to experience and you see that's something that the nations could see that's something they could recognize it was going to be I'm not sure how the nations would recognize whether Israel had a close relationship with God in their heart But they could certainly see these external things. They could see their crops growing and abounding. They could see the growth of their population. They could see their victory over their foreign enemies. But now this raises another question for us, doesn't it? How were they to make the judgment that as Israel prospers in obedience to their law, that they must be very wise? Because that, that precisely is what they see. They're not making a judgment that Israel is very prosperous, per se. They're making a judgment that Israel is very wise and understanding. How are they making that judgment? Well, we need to step back for a moment here again and perhaps think about wisdom more broadly in the scriptures. Perhaps especially from the book of Proverbs, but certainly in other places as well. One thing that is important to note about wisdom is that, though, the heart of wisdom, the fullness of wisdom, is only something that true believers can experience. Ultimately, only in Christ is the fullness of wisdom found. In Scripture, there is a measure of wisdom that unbelievers can experience and express. Even in the book of Proverbs, that seems to be the case. The opening of Proverbs 31 and Proverbs 30 seem to be texts written by non-Israelites. They're actually included in the text of Scripture. That's pretty remarkable. Non-Israelites writing wisdom literature that's included in Scripture. There's some evidence that some of the book of Proverbs bears a similarity, maybe even a certain dependence upon certain Egyptian wisdom documents. We know elsewhere in Scripture Uh, It speaks about the wisdom of the East, the peoples of the East. Uh, Scripture praises the wisdom of the Edomites. Now, there are texts like that that remind us that even outside the bounds of Israel, there was a certain wisdom that was found. So again, wisdom is something that is not completely unfamiliar to these foreign nations. But if we think about, if we we would turn to Proverbs... And we would think about Proverbs for a moment. What is wisdom there? It's hard to summarize it really briefly, of course. But certainly, very close to the heart of what wisdom is in Proverbs is the skill, the perception, the understanding of how to live a prosperous, successful life within the bounds of this natural moral order. Wisdom is having the sense of how the world has been put together under God's creative wisdom and understanding how to live in the midst of that world in a way that brings blessing and prosperity and success for you and others. There's a lot more you could say, but that is certainly a very important part of what wisdom is in Proverbs. Now, if we try to take that and come back now to Deuteronomy 4, what kind of insight does that perhaps give us? Well, let me suggest this. Insofar as those nations had some sense of wisdom, and we know from Scripture that unbelieving peoples did have some sense of what wisdom is, then they would have understood that a wise people are people who somehow are able to have that understanding and perception of how to succeed and thrive and flourish in this world. Well, now think about these nations looking at Israel, obeying their law, having God so near to them, having their crops growing year after year, women having many children, people living to an old age, winning all their battles. How could they not have looked at this and concluded Israel must be a very very wise people? I mean, look at us. You know, we have a little sense of wisdom, but you know, we know from Ecclesiastes this is not what the foreign peoples are saying. I'm kind of putting this this is a little reflection. We know we know from Ecclesiastes that the world doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. That sometimes the battle is not to the strong or the race to the swift. Sometimes those who are the wisest end up in poverty because they're oppressed by the wicked. We know there are things that go wrong in this world. The foreign nations, they would have experienced that. They would have known that even the wisest people fail. Even the wisest people run into problems in life. And yet they would have looked at Israel obeying their law and thriving, succeeding, prospering like no one they had ever seen before. You can understand why they would say, Israel must be a very wise and understanding people. And then we add verse 8. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? The nations would have looked at Israel and understood that Israel is thriving, prospering so much as they obey this law that they have. What a righteous law it must be. What a righteous law that shows forth the way of wisdom that makes Israel prosper the way that they do. Well, here we have Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 8. A pretty remarkable statement about not only Israel and its law, but its, its effect, its influence upon the nations around them insofar as Israel would obey. Well... As we're coming to the end of our time, let me conclude by offering two two basic uh, points of reflection uh, that you may want to ponder as uh, we uh, part ways this morning. A first that I'd like to set before you is that we ought to remember that though the Mosaic Law was given only to Israel, It was in God's larger plan that Israel under the law be a testimony to the entire world. You see, we know from the larger scriptures that God didn't only have Israel in his sights, even during the Old Testament. God's plan all along was to bring salvation to the whole world. Israel was in part to show the whole world its true state before God to prepare for that greater, uh, that greater uh, blessing that God was to bring to the whole world. Here in Deuteronomy 4, 6-8, through 8, Israel was to be a testimony to the world in its obedience and in its prospering and in the blessing that God was to bring to them. They were to impress the nations, to make the eight nations in awe at the blessing that God brings when his law is obeyed. That's part of what Israel was to communicate to the world. It's part of what the world as a whole needed to learn about God. He is a God who is righteous and loves obedience and loves to bring blessing to those who obey him. Now, at the same time, there's also a dark side to this, isn't there? In that God is a righteous and just God, also hates disobedience. And he is a God who also brings judgment upon those who disobey his law. And it's interesting that, as you read elsewhere in Deuteronomy, Israel was not only to impress the nations by their obedience and prospering, but also impress the nations by their disobedience and the judgment that came up against them. And let me just read a few verses uh, from Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, beginning in verse 22. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land, again, a foreigner who comes from a far land, will say, when they see the afflictions of that land, and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick. The whole land burned out with brimstone and salt. Nothing sown and nothing growing where no plant can sprout. An overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim. Which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to his land? What caused the heat of, his great ang- of this great anger? The people, then the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers. Well, in the course of things, I think it's safe to say, Israel succeeded in impressing the nations much more by their disobedience and the judgment against them than they did by their obedience and the blessings that God brought. And thus, we're reminded that we can never really appreciate this text or text like it apart From knowing Christ, that it is ultimately, finally, in that true Son of Israel who truly kept that law so perfectly, that we find that prosperity, that God so near, that blessing that would come to God's people and would be that final and beautiful testimony to them of this God who delights to bless his people. Uh, his people who are obedient before him, his people obedient in Christ. Let me mention one other thing. We need to recognize here, uh, as we see in Deuteronomy 4, that the righteousness of the law of Moses is not simply a parochial righteousness, not simply a righteousness for Israel alone, relevant only for them. The righteousness of the Mosaic law is a righteousness that reflects the law revealed universally in the law of nature. It is a righteousness that reflects and teaches a wisdom that is universally applicable for every human being in this world. Now, let me remind you, some of you will be familiar with this text, some of you may not. Let me just read for you. Chapter nineteen four of the Westminster Confession of Faith, talking about Israel, to them also as a body politic, God gave sundry judicial laws, which expire together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now further than the general equity thereof may require. There's a lot that could be said about this and I'll say very little. There have been some people in recent years in the Reformed uh, Reformed circles called theonomists, some of you will be aware of them, who have said that the Mosaic law is so relevant and so applicable to us now today that even the civil laws of Israel should be our civil laws for our nations, our judicial systems today. That view is rejected here in 1904. And there are good reasons for that. Israel's civil law was given for a theocratic people long ago. But I want you to especially notice here that Westminster Confession 19.4 speaks about the general equity of these laws. You see, we remember as we read the Mosaic Law that God's everlasting moral law is taught within these laws. God's moral laws is relevant for all people at all times and all places. But even the civil laws of Israel, which as a whole are not to be imposed upon modern nations, still reflect the general equity. They still reflect, in other words, general principles of justice, general principles of righteousness, from which we still have much to learn today when we're thinking about a statement like that in the Westminster Confession, Deuteronomy 4 is a good text. Remember, there is in these laws a righteousness, a wisdom, that even those outside the faith ought to be able to recognize. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text of Scripture that you've given to us. Truly, there is So much here, there is so much richness that we find. Oh Lord, we thank you that you gave your law of old and that it was a profound law. It was a wise law that in the keeping and doing of it, there was such enormous blessing that even pagans would be astounded by the righteousness, by the wisdom encapsulated in this law. Father, we thank you for your son who is so perfectly kept this law for us and has brought all the blessings that Israel ultimately always failed uh, to, uh, to, uh, to experience because of their disobedience. May we rest in him. And we pray, O Lord, that you may give us wisdom today. That as we read this law of Moses, that we may see within it this wisdom, this general equity this righteousness and justice that we may walk faithfully before you in our callings today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.